0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. So, no real news on the holiday, which I guess is I'm grateful for. Unless you want to count Bol Bol getting waved by the Magic as news from July 4th. But effectively, that was the only thing that happened on July 4th. Um, So that's good, actually. We've hit a slowdown, which means that when we get into some of these names and new places tomorrow, hopefully we will really just be waiting on what happens with Damian Lillard. That feels like the only real shoe, and it's a big one. They're they're shaq size, They're clown shoes. But... That feels like the one thing still kicking around out there. In the meantime, we got one more team to cover. The champs. The 2022-23 NBA season champs. The Denver Nuggets. And that's what's coming up today on Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Besperis, and this is a Sports Ethos presentation Provided Twitter is still working by the time you listen to this podcast, you can find me over there at Dan Bespris. Again, tomorrow, I will indeed be opening up a Threads account to see how that goes. Maybe it's total dumpster fire, or maybe it's the start of a new scene, man. Can't know today, though. And probably, if I had to guess, starting tomorrow... I'll try to do like a uh, simul post. I think I mentioned that on yesterday's pod. Posting things on Twitter and threads at the same time. And obviously more of you will still see it over on Twitter. But again, if you're starting to get sick of the nonsense here on the Twitters, then maybe that turns out to be another spot. But for now, it'll just be kind of a a multi-pronged attack. And again, we'll sort of play it a little bit by ear and see how things shake out, but let's get right into business today. The Denver Nuggets, your champs, are a very easy team to handicap. I guess it's kind of nice that we get to finish off the team review part of our uh, operation this year with one that doesn't require a whole lot of deep digging. The Nuggets had four players that sat inside the top 100 on a per-game basis. They had two more guys that sat right around the edge of the top 125 on a per-game basis. By totals, they were uh, slightly better than that because one of the guys that was outside the top 100 had a a very durable season, and so they actually had five guys in the top 100 by totals on a per-game basis or uh, by totals, the one of the players that was around 125 remained there. That was Aaron Gordon. Let's actually just start with Aaron Gordon, who by all accounts had his most efficient season ever, and I don't think that it's a coincidence that it came playing alongside Nikola Jokic. With Gordon, one of the huge knocks on him had been his painful efficiency, where he was shooting around 44% with the Orlando Magic and his not-good free-throw number. Moved to Denver. After the trade a couple years ago, he shot 50% with the Nuggets. Last year, he was up to 52%. This year, he was way out ahead of any other season in his career at 56.5%. Eliminated a lot of the three-pointers. He had been sort of moving progressively slowly farther away from the bucket. This year, he was much less of a three-point shooter, and I'm sure that was by design because they kind of looked at it and they were like, all right, so you're a 32-percenter from three. Let's stop taking those because you're not good at them. The interesting thing about this year for Gordon, again, shooting 56.5%, that's crazy. This was the second-highest scoring season of his career which included those years where he was taking 13, 14, 15 shots a game with the Magic. He only took 11.2 with the Nuggets this year, and that high field goal percent is why his point-per-game number was so good. He was at 6.6 rebounds per game, and a lot of that was just because he played 30 minutes a night with Denver instead of 32 or 33, which is where he was with Orlando in a lot of his seasons down south. So his rebounds weren't at 7.5, they were at 6.5. Some of that was playing alongside Nikola Jokic. Yes, that's true also. But again, if you add, it's not 10% from 30 to 32, but it's a a tiny bit sub-10%. That would get him up to about 7, 7.1, something like that. So it would have been just the tiniest bit lower on a per-minute basis. His assists were in line, for the most part, with career numbers. Tiny bit better than his overall career, but pretty much in line with where he's been in Denver and where he was towards the end of his Orlando career. Seals and blocks were basically in line with career numbers as well. Maybe ever so slightly better at shot blocking this year, but again, everything was pretty tight to the number, with the exception of field goal percent, which was crazy high, and free throw percent, which was actually crazy low this season. So that's the funny thing about Aaron Gordon, who I've clowned on this podcast many times over the years because of the efficiency stuff. He actually could have had a season that was not painfully rough in efficiency. It's funny that I phrased it that way because, you know, it ends up being sort of inefficient when you factor in the free throw stuff. Gordon's been bad at the foul line. Don't get me wrong. But he's been 69, 70, 71% bad at the free throw line. Not 61. This was his worst foul shooting year of his career. The only time he got close was 63% in Orlando before he got traded to Denver, where he then finished up the season shooting 71% the last 25 games that year. This season, 61% on a career best 4.6 foul shots per game because, again, he was operating more around the rim, driving as opposed to settling for jumpers. I bring all this up because if you took Aaron Gordon's year this season and simply stretched his free throw number from 61 back up to 69, he actually sits inside the top 100 in that scenario. Not by a lot, by a little, but he does get there. Just barely. Yes, he missed 14 games, but that's a round league average. In fact, it was ever so slightly better than league average this season. So, as much as I, again, have made fun of Aaron Gordon's terrible fantasy game in the past, the fact that he then turned field goal percent into this whopping positive this year actually brings him close... To being fantasy relevant in 9-cat. The fact that steals and blocks remain sub 1. Is a little bit annoying. I'll admit that. And 16 points puts him. Kind of around fantasy average. 6.6 rebounds. Ever so slightly better than average. Assists were decent for a power forward. The 3's now being lower. You sort of. You kind of wear that. With the big bump in field goal percent. But it's that free throw number. He became a punt, a full punt foul guy, as opposed to, we've talked about this on the show in the past. I hate that I have to keep saying that, but I know you guys are thinking it when I say stuff, so I feel like I need to put it out there out loud. He goes from being a bad foul shooter, one that you don't really want on your fantasy team, but there were so many other reasons you didn't want Aaron Gordon on your fantasy team in the past. The field goal percent was a large part of it as well, and then, you know, the last couple of seasons there, he sort of didn't do enough in Denver in the other things. But if that free throw number, which became a big punt this season, somehow worked its way back to just being, oh, kind of bad, he could actually be a top 100 play. And then if he was even marginally durable, that would make him useful in both fantasy formats, head-to-head and roto. To try to put this into perspective, and I don't want to spend too much time on Aaron Gordon, but he was the fourth worst by volume free throw guy in the NBA this year behind Giannis, who was obviously way out in front of everybody, Steven Adams, who was desperately trying to catch Giannis by shooting only 36% at the free throw line, Nick Claxton, who was kind of like the, the old-fashioned punt free throw guy, the Clint Capella model, 54% on three and change foul shots per game. And then Aaron Gordon. You see 61% on a guy who's not Giannis, and you're like, oh, well, we could probably weather the storm of 61%. But he was actually worse than Rudy Gobert. He was worse than Zion before he went down. Worse than Mitchell Robinson. Worse than Walker Kessler, Jakob Pertl, Mason Plumlee. Clint Capella actually wasn't that huge of a negative this year because he only took two foul shots a game. It's that 4.6 number for Gordon, the big free throw attempts per game that pushed him up into the echelon of, crap, this is a punt dude. You know me, I'm not going to take a chance typically on a guy who I need something to just change. But, as we mentioned here, if you take that four and some odd free throws per game and you bring him back up into the high 60s, you basically make him... Like Ivica Zubac, almost, who shot 70% on three per game. It would be a little bit worse than that, but not by a great deal. Yusuf Nurkic was 66% on almost four per game. And these are guys that are annoying to roster on your fantasy team because they are, quote-unquote, bad at the free-throw line. But, once again, if you just look at some of the players that are a positive free-throw value around that same marker... You're talking about Boyan Bogdanovich, Mikhail Bridges, Jimmy Butler, Lowry Markinen. You can find a way to get one of those dudes on your team. And then it covers it up. So this is not an Aaron Gordon advocacy moment on the podcast. Really merely a mention that there is a path for him to actually have positive fantasy contributions next year. And end up, and belong, I should say, and belong on the right side of the cut line. Where with this year, 12 teamers, he's really just sitting ever so slightly on the outside. And free throw is the big reason why. As we work our way up the Denver board, the next name on the list is Bruce Brown. Who is no longer a member of the Denver Nuggets. Easy peasy, everybody. We'll talk more about Bruce Brown on a future episode. When we get back into the free agency stuff. Because he is now a wildly overpaid member of the Indiana Pacers. I like Bruce Brown by the way. I like him a lot. But he's making mid 20s in millions per year and he is uh like the league's best I can fit in with anybody hustle player. That's a big contract to give out. I guess you you know, you like the fact the Pacers are trying to get themselves better and teams that Free agents don't typically want to go to all that badly. They do have to overpay. Sorry, Pacers, this is not meant as a knock on you. It's just players like to go to specific kind of big market destinations or big star destinations. And so uh, if you're not one of those, you probably have to beat them in money. So we'll come back to Bruce Brown when we're talking about new players, new faces. What does Bruce Brown's departure do for the Denver Nuggets? I suppose we could frame it in that respect in a little bit. It probably means, and the Nuggets have added a few players through the draft, but it probably means more Christian Brown. If there's kind of like a one-to-one, and the NBA doesn't really work that way, but Brown has been, this year at least, kind of the next most trustworthy wing-type player on the club. Jeff Green also fell into that mix, but he, too, is no longer a member of the Denver Nuggets. So it's probably a a hope that Brown can step into, not, I don't think he goes all the way up to 29 minutes per game. He probably doesn't take half of Brown's minutes, but he probably does take five or six of them, at the very least. And moves from, like, 16 minutes per game up into the low to mid-20s, which, again, probably doesn't give him enough stuff to do. Even if you took Christian Brown's numbers and you doubled them and said, oh, well, he goes from 15 and a half minutes to 31, he's still not a fantasy value. That would put him at about nine points, five rebounds, two assists, a three-pointer, and a steal. That's still not enough. Now, maybe he does take a flying leap forward. I'm not willing to blow even one of my late picks on a I hope Christian Brown figures out fantasy sports kind of thing. The other four players on the Nuggets, though, are very much fantasy assets. And we will talk about them after we bring you this message from our pals at expressvpn.com. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. You always close the door behind you, right? (laughs) Actually, when you're with somebody long enough, maybe you don't anymore. But let's say you're in a public bathroom. You don't want a random passerby looking in on you, correct? You weirdo. So why would you let people look in on you when you go online? And I'm not saying when you go bathroom online. I'm saying when you just use the internet. Your online privacy is very important, and that... Friends, is why I choose ExpressVPN, and you should too. Using the internet without a VPN is like going to the bathroom and not closing the door. How is that? Well, your internet service provider knows every single website you visit. They can sell this information to ad companies and tech giants, who can then use your data to target you. So, maybe to say it's like going to the bathroom, maybe that's a tiny bit of a stretch, but the random passersby is effectively anyone in marketing that your ISP sells your info to. Let's say instead of going to the bathroom in that stall, that's where you do all of your shopping. That's where you figure out where your kids are going to summer camp. Things like that. They can figure those out too. ExpressVPN counters this by creating a secure encrypted tunnel between you, your device, and the internet so your activity can't be seen by anyone. works on phones, laptops, routers, so everyone who shares your Wi-Fi is protected, and all you have to do to fire up the ExpressVPN app is click one button. It's as easy, in this metaphor, as closing the bathroom door behind you. So get an extra three months of ExpressVPN free by going to expressvpn.com hoopball. That's expressvpn.com hoopball. Yes, it's our old name. For three extra months free, expressvpn.com. Slash hoopball is the special URL. Head there today and enjoy the splendors of internet privacy. Tomorrow I'm going to tell you guys again about Caldera Lab. One of our new buddies. But today, it's all about our pals at ExpressVPN. Long time partners here on Fantasy NBA Today. I think this is the second or third year. I don't know if anybody's catching Manscaped. They've been with us for like four or five years now. Uh, But really, really cool that we have these partners that are in kind of different fields, but all see the value in being with us here at Fantasy NBA Today. So huge thank you to ExpressVPN one more time, uh, and definitely check them out. Definitely check them out. It's also cool, they don't, uh, it didn't mention it in that particular read, but I also wanted to, to just toss out there that being able to change your location, location data is one of the really cool tools that ExpressVPN provides as well. So the four players on the Denver Nuggets that all have fantasy value to varying degrees are quite obviously, kind of like a big three, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and uh, Michael Porter Jr. But I want to start by talking about KCP. KCP. Super champion, KCP. He's got a couple of rings now. We, we spent enough time, I think, this year on the podcast talking about KCP that you guys kind of knew this moment was coming. But overall, and going into the year, remember, we talked about that trade for the Nuggets being way bigger than people realize because he slots in as the perfect complement to the other guys in that starting unit, specifically Jokic and Murray, but just overall, from a size standpoint, he's the right size for that shooting guard spot they needed to fill. Defensively, he's very good. Floor spacingly, he's very good. He hits big shots. We saw him do it on the Lakers bubble run. Now, his numbers aren't going to jump off the page. He is your prototypical 3-and-D basketball player. Two three-pointers and and one-and-a-half steals this year on only 11 points. 2.7 rebounds, two-and-a-half assists. A field goal percent that doesn't really hurt you. Good foul shooter, but doesn't get there very often. And very few turnovers as well. So, yeah, on the head-to-head side, he's probably a little bit less interesting. I guess overall he's a little bit less interesting. Shouldn't relegated just to one format but he's number 96 in nine category leagues if you're in head-to-head the reason I brought that up is because most head-to-head players are kind of semi-ignoring turnovers so the fact that that is one of KCP's big positive categories does make him certainly a, a bit less interesting there but the 11 points was sufficient the two threes the steals those were solid and then just Uh, I mean, look, half a block is actually not bad from a shooting guard. So roll that up over the course of the year. He was also quite durable. The the verdict on KCP is that this was a smashing success for the Nuggets, certainly. He's signed for this coming season. He actually has a player option for the year after that. And honest to goodness, I have no idea how that's going to turn out next year. But we don't have to worry about that. What we do need to think about is, what's a situation? Because he'll probably hover around the top 100 again next year. I doubt his role changes significantly season over season when you figure that the main guys, the key cogs for the Nuggets, are going to stay pretty much consistent year over year. The question around KCP is, in what scenario should you end up with him on your fantasy team? I think the scenarios are you need steals and threes late in your draft. Because you're probably not going to have to spend a top 100 pick to get him. Because he's boring, because his 8 category value is lower than 9 cat, because his points league value is lower than 9 cat, he's a guy that'll probably slip in drafts. He'll probably get drafted in the 110 to 120-ish range, or certainly after 100, maybe say 100 to 120 range. And in most scenarios, I would say you probably don't need to draft him. Which, whatever, you can call that mean or, or like not accurate because he does belong on fantasy clubs. But you're probably not stat hunting those two categories at the end of your draft in every scenario. Some teams will, some teams won't. The other scenarios you're considering here are, is, it's not even a, I should say the other scenario you are considering I think it's only one is needing durability towards the end of your draft because KCP played in 76 games this year when you wipe out the uh the well the the legal stuff from x number of years past he pretty much does make it through the season. So in that scenario you're at pick I don't know 110 115 in your fantasy drafts. You need somebody who's going to give you 70-some-odd games. This is this is the argument for him on the head-to-head side. On the roto side, it's really about stat hunting in that range in the draft. And I'm also okay if you're just like, nah, I don't need it. Now, what about the big three? Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic in ascending order. MPJ was number 81 but missed 20 games this year. Jamal Murray was number 61 and missed 17 games this year. And then Jokic was basically in a dead heat with Joel Embiid for number one. We knew going into the season that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. were going to miss games. In all likelihood, they were going to set out basically every single back-to-back, which pretty much happened. And then if anything beyond that happens to those players, you just tack those games above. We got kind of lucky with Jamal Murray who basically didn't miss additional games beyond back-to-backs. I think he did get himself into a few of them as the season progressed. But this year, I would call a a smash success. The other thing about Jamal Murray is you knew his season would start slowly as he was getting his legs underneath him. And as the year went on, he got better. Similar story for Michael Porter Jr. that I think gets swept under the rug a tiny bit because his overall production was not up to ADP standards MPJ missed his marks. Jamal Murray hit his. You now Jamal was number 68 on a totals basis which is pretty much where he was drafted. I think he got drafted in like the mid 70s. Michael Porter Jr. actually got drafted ahead of him he was more of like a mid-60s guy and he finished at number 95 by totals and as we mentioned already number 81 per game. So I don't know that anybody really cares that mpJ was actually better the second half of the season. And I actually played in more games the second half of the year than Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Final three months of the NBA campaign, so that's like uh, early January to the end of the year. Michael Porter Jr. played in 35 games. Murray and Jokic played in 31. No one's really going to remember that because his overall rank missed the mark. But that creates a little pocket for us here on Fantasy NBA Today because we do the deep dive on little nerdy stuff like this. We see the things in between the other things. And MPJ, the second half of the year, was more like a 60 to 75 range guy as opposed to the 75 to 100 range you got the first half of the year. Not coincidentally, Jamal Murray, who also got better the second half of the year, was in the 35 range over that stretch after, after being more like top 100, eh, call it like 60 to 100 range the first half of the season. The reason I bring all that up is not to say that one was great and the other was not good or whatever, because it's all done now. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. did not hit. This year, I mean, he didn't kill you in fantasy, but he didn't hit. And Jamal Murray, you could probably argue, just barely did. And the fact that he got better as the year went on was good for head-to-head. But again, this is about looking towards the future. And the future holds two things for the Nuggets. Number one, they are the champs. The regular season is not going to be the same for them. Teams have regular season hangovers. The nice thing about the Nuggets is that Nikola Jokic can do all of this kind of with his eyes closed, so there probably won't be that much erosion. But all those playoff games, it does take a toll. So if you're thinking Jamal Murray, maybe he misses additional games next year, I would say that's possible. MPJ, if you're banking on him somehow playing more games, maybe call it 50-50. Jokic is going to get days off in there as well. It just, like, that's what happens with teams off a championship run. Things might still be fine, but there isn't going to be that that grind, that push that you get before a team gets up and over the hurdle. But what I think is perhaps the most important thing to note is that as the season went on, you got kind of more and more out of Jamal Murray and the field goal percent trended in the right direction. And for MPJ, the field goal percent was also a thing that was trending in the right direction. And so they got the fact that they were better the second half of the year, I think gives us an indication that maybe more so on the Roto side because of a games cap. If there's fear about those missed ball games and championship hangover, you're probably going to get numbers more like that stretch than when they didn't have their sea legs back. Or perhaps the reality is somewhere in between. Because they have their legs back, but maybe the brain isn't quite laser-focused in. Because they did it. They got their ring. It's just a different monster, that that regular season coming back from a championship. But as we always talk about, and why we did a show on this yesterday, where are they going to get drafted? Does Jamal Murray get taken inside the top 50 this year? Even though over the entire season he was number 61. But later, as the year went on, he was indeed more of a top 50 kind of asset. I don't know. Does MPJ go farther, deeper, later in draft because he was number 81 overall on the year? Or does he springboard back up a bit? Does he go close to where he went this last season in the 60s? Because that's where he was those final few months. Is there an additional gear for Michael Porter Jr.? Could he get up over 50%? Because that's where around where he was shooting the second half of the season was almost 50 right on the nose. Points, threes, both percentages, that's where he kind of makes his hay. Bruce Brown being gone shouldn't impact him much. Although, you know, might lose a minute or two to Bruce here and there. Not having uh, the backups going to be quite as trustworthy. Will Jamal Murray do less this coming season? Jokic isn't doing any less. He's he's the hub. Looking at things the way they are now, I think I would probably take MPJ if he fell past 65 in Roto Leagues. I think the per-game upside is still cooked in there someplace. Jamal Murray, I would probably draft if he fell past 50. And there's plenty of good reasons to like them. Jamal Murray does more in the assists and steals department. MPJ has the higher field goal percent and rebounds. It all balances out and there's and they both score, so that's helpful. Murray more so. And then Jokic should probably go number one again. I like the fact that he missed some games this year didn't really sway me off of that. He's still Nikola Jokic. You'll probably see a little bit less in terms of production. I guess we'll see if James Harden is back in Philadelphia, because maybe Joel Embiid actually does pass him that year. But look, even a healthy Embiid season, he was still three games behind Jokic in per-game value. Nikola's just this ridiculous monster, and you'd you'd have to pay me to do something else at the top spot. But some interesting little questions about Denver coming into this year. Can Aaron Gordon get his free throw percent back up near 70 and push his way into the top 100? Could KCP get an extra, I don't know, quarter shot, half shot with Bruce Brown gone? Possibly. Would that get him from the 100 range to the 90 range? Maybe. Can Jamal Murray continue his top 50 play, or does he settle back into the 60 range? Can MPJ continue his top 60 play, or does he settle back into the 75-80 range? All will be answered after this next season, and certainly a lot will be answered when we see those first ADP numbers, but that's where the Nuggets sit right now. And that's why, despite being the champs, there is a chance you might be able to catch a little bit of games cap value on some of the guys on this roster. Maybe not as much on head-to-head. You're taking a risk with head-to-head, because off that championship run, you have to assume that a best-case scenario for a lot of these guys is playing about league average number of games. Thanks again to ExpressVPN on this Wednesday edition of Fantasy NBA Today. Again, tomorrow, I'll keep you guys updated on the social media stuff. For now, you still can indeed find me over on Twitter, at Dan Vespers. And Sports Ethos is, well, .com is the website. Ethos Fantasy BK is the basketball feed. And the NFL Draft Guide remains out. NFL Fantasy Pass, just $4 a month. The Fantasy Pass for all sports, just $7 a month for a very limited time now. We're into July going up to 10 bucks a month as soon as our first NBA draft guide stuff comes out. So if you're thinking about getting a fantasy pass, now is the time to do it. The NBA fantasy pass, by the way, is 6 bucks a month. So that's kind of what the old one became, basically. You can ask me questions about that on social too if you have them. Let's wrap it up here. So long, everybody. Back at you tomorrow. We'll start talking about new faces in new places. Later.